Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and part of the teaching team. I want to tell you before we dive into the scriptures today about two things that you might want to join us for that relate to the building that's going up next door. The first one is tomorrow night. Tomorrow night is a building preview night in this room at 7 o'clock. Our architect, Jack DeBartolo, will be here, and he'll be giving us kind of a virtual tour of of what we're building. He's got all the 3D software and we'll kind of go through all that stuff. He's got building supplies and materials and you'll get a feel for kind of what are we actually doing next door. And so if that kind of thing is interesting to you, join us at seven o'clock tomorrow night. The second thing is a week from Monday, Monday the 12th, that's actually Veterans Day. So kids are off school. Um, We've arranged it with the folks who are doing the construction that at 9 a.m. on that Veterans Day is when they're going to put up the 60-foot steel cross. And so we would love you to come. We'd love you to come be part of that. And we're going to have a kind of a gathering out uh, kind of and and pray and sort of watch it. And, And mostly I'll just be praying that... They don't accidentally drop it on one of the buildings they've already built because that would really do some damage. But we're going to pray for that and just pray that this would be a light in our community. So we'd love to have you come and join us and be part of that. Well, as Josh said, we are in this series called We Are Here. And this series is kind of a vision-oriented series. And when I think about vision as a leader, I'm always thinking about three things. The role of a leader when it comes to vision is to define present reality, to dream a preferred future and to design the path to get there. Define present reality. Where are we? What's going on? What's the situation? This is how you think about it. Even when you're with your family, you're going, okay, what's going on right now? What's our stage of life? What is happening? Where are we? Then you think, where do I want to go? That's the preferred future. Well, I'm here, but I'd like to go there. This is okay, but that's better. This is bad, but that's good. This is great, but that's even greater, right? That sort of a thing. It's dreaming that preferred future. Then it's designing the path. Okay, well, that's a great idea, and that's a great vision, and rah, rah, but how do you actually get there? That's the role of a leader, and that's what this series is. And so if you weren't with us last week, you may want to go back and listen to it because last week's message was really trying to define reality, trying to say, where are we? That's what we've called this series. We are here. Where are we? Well, here we are. We're in our 10th, approaching our 10th year as a church. That's pretty amazing. January will be our 10th anniversary, which is really cool. And in that 10th anniversary year, we're moving into this new building that's next door. And the thing that's interesting about that building is it's about double our current capacity. So we have the potential of maybe doubling in the next number of years. And so this is kind of an interesting time. Okay, what does that mean? Where are we? This point in our church's history, on the edge of that. And here's the thing that I've been warned about by a number of experienced leaders. They've told me, they've said, hey, listen, you you better tell your people, watch out. I said, what do you mean? This just seems exciting. They said, no, watch out. Because what happens a lot of times is when you kind of end up in that kind of final destination building, a lot of people just get selfish. And they kind of turn inward and they just want to think about themselves and they don't really have an outward focus anymore. So be careful. So some of what we're guarding against, we hope in this series is to say, no, 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 we can't let that happen. Right? As we approach this 10th anniversary, we don't want to have our best days be behind us, but rather ahead of us. Well, where are we? We're also in this place. We're geographically here in the Southeast Valley. This is where God has sent us. Every week I meet people who are new to this area. Maybe they're new to Arizona. That's often the case. But almost always they're new to this part of Arizona. And so it's this huge opportunity because people are lonely. People don't have connection. People don't have people to watch their kids. People don't have friends. And the church is an opportunity to provide that. This is also a community where everything kind of looks good on the outside. A lot of new houses, a lot of nice cars, a lot of big trucks. 
but also a lot of hopelessness, a lot of pain. Things look better on the outside than they actually are on the inside, and so that's also where we are. We're in a cultural moment where pain and hopelessness is on the rise, confidence in the church is on the decline. That's where we are. That's what we looked at last week. Well, today we're looking at this preferred future. In light of that reality, in light of that present reality, where do we want to go? Where do we sense that God is calling us to go? This is what I've been working on and talking through with our pastors and our elders for months now. I'm excited to share with you. And then in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about how do we think we actually get there. So where are we going as Redemption Gateway? Well, here's where we're going. In the next 10 years, we want to become the best friend that this community has. That's where we want to go. In the next 10 years, we want to become the best friend that this community has. I am not interested, I hope you know this, I'm not interested in just having a big church. You know who the only people who like big, really big churches are? Can I tell you a secret? Pastors. Just pastors. For everyone else, it's just kind of a hassle. And here's the reality. If the goal was big church, we'll check. We already did that. This is a big church. There's going to be about 14 or 1,500 people here today. That's a big church. That's a lot. Not all in this room. The last room was full. The five o'clock room will be full. All those classrooms are full. There's a lot of people. If the goal was to just have a big church, we did it. Mission accomplished. But that's not the goal. I didn't start this church 10 years ago with a group of 50 committed people because we just wanted to have a big church. We wanted to make a difference. We wanted to make an impact. And part of that impact that we want to make as we continue to look out into the future is we want to be the best friend that this community has. Well, what would that look like? That would look like a number of things. One, it would look like we'd be an obvious place that people in this Southeast Valley would turn to in times of pain. They might say, you know what, I don't know if I believe what they believe. I don't know if I agree with all the things they do. They probably have some stuff that I wouldn't like. But you know what? I know they love like no one else in this community loves. That's what it would begin to look like. It's interesting just as as a country. We don't really have as a country anyone to turn to in times of crisis that kind of provides spiritual direction for the country. Probably the closest thing we've had to that in the last 50 years was probably Billy Graham, right? There was some kind of big event. Well, what does Billy Graham have to say about that? Everyone would kind of at least respect. What he, who, who, would, who would you even turn to now? That might be a once-in-a-lifetime kind of person. There's nobody like that, nationally speaking. And that probably won't change. I don't know if anyone will be that. I don't know if we even need that. But here's what I know. In our community, when times of trouble come, when pain comes, when suicide rates are on the rise, and when the next recession hits, And when whatever, all the bad stuff that happens, that's inevitable, that's going to happen. When that happens, wouldn't it be great if the people in the community said, well, I know where we can turn. I'll bet, I bet Redemption's doing something about that. I bet, you know what, I have some friends at Redemption, they've told me about how, how they're addressing those needs, right? That's, that's some of what this would begin to look like. I think a lot of those people might start out going, I don't know if I believe that, I don't agree with that, but they would come and they would experience your love and they would experience the truth of God's word and they would have God meet them here. Some of them, I think, would end up in that tank and say, you know what? I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I wasn't interested in the church. I wasn't looking for church, but God dropped a boulder in my life. And when that happened, I didn't know where else to turn and and I heard that I could turn here. That's what it would look like to be the best friend that our community has. It would also look like continuing to build the active partnerships that we have 
with other nonprofits in our community and other churches. I actually got a text yesterday from a guy who, uh, who, who actually, he, we, he received a gift from us a couple years ago. He's a church planner over in Eastmark. And part of our Christmas offering was to support him as they got started in that work. And he texted me yesterday. He said, hey, I just drove by your building, and I just spent the rest of my drive praying. And I'm just so excited for how people will experience that church as a place where they can go to get help. And I was like, did you hack into my computer and read my notes? Because that's exactly what I'm talking about. And this is, what, and this is another, another church that's very close by who's saying, we're in this together. Right, that's how we feel like it. We, we, we want to grow fruit for the kingdom of God. We don't care whose tree it's on. It doesn't have to be on the Redemption Gateway tree. But we want to continue to bless the local ministries and the local people who are doing great work. We want to continue to do that. That's what it would look like to be the best friend our community has. It would also look like thousands of people who love like Jesus. Get this. I did not say thousands of people who gather You can get that all kinds of places. I'm not interested in thousands of people gathering. I mean, that sort of feels good to stroke the preacher ego, but that's not what this is about. This is about the kingdom of God, right? And so if that's the case, then what really being the best friend our community has would be thousands of people who love like Jesus. It does not matter what our seating capacity is. What matters is our sending capacity. Our ability to send you as ambassadors for Jesus into all the areas where you work and study and play and live and recreate. That's what this is about, is having the opportunity to send you to be a blessing. Listen, you work with people that I can't meet and Seth can't meet and Josh can't meet and other people who are good at explaining the gospel. We're not going to meet them. You go, oh, well, I'll invite them here. Great, I hope you do. And when you invite them... I'll meet them for a second, and then I'll preach. I won't get to know their story like you will. I won't get to know their pain like you will. I won't get to meet their needs in a tangible way like you will. Only you you can do that. That's why God put you in their life, not me. You know, some people have sort of said, you know, as a church gets large, you have all these people that show up kind of like consumers, like they're going, well... What can this church offer, right? Like we have this phrase, church shopping. It's like you're shopping for a good vacation. Well, how many, how many beds are in this hotel? And how many, how are, right? Here's what some people said. When you get that mentality, it's like church as a cruise liner. And, and listen, a cruise liner is a great thing. Have you ever been on a cruise? I haven't. I've heard they're spectacular. I mean, there's tons of food, so it's a lot like church. There's lots of food everywhere. And it's, it's right, this is how a lot of people view church. They go, you know what, I just, I need, I, it's so hard out there, I just need to be able to rest and replenish. That's what I want from church. And, and so they think about church almost like a cruise liner. There's lots of deck chairs with comfortable padding. You sit under the light of Jesus, and you get a nice Jesus tan, and he replenishes you, and, and you might even shine like a bronze light out in the world as you have kind of soaked up all this goodness, right? That, that's how a lot of people think about church. That does not interest us. We view church not as a cruise liner, but as an aircraft carrier. 
An aircraft carrier is like this city that's mobile, that just supports all of the mission that is happening, not from the carrier and not on the carrier, but out in these other places. As the people of God push back against the darkness of sin, as people in the family of God go out and love and serve and bless, that's what we're to be. This place where, you know what, you can come here and we'll encourage you and we'll fill you up and we'll feed you and we'll give you the health care that you need to be able to get back out there and keep fighting, but you better get out there and keep fighting. If you just want to lay by the pool, no, go. They're in the pool here. This is not a cruise liner church. This is an aircraft carrier church. That's what we're talking about. That's what we mean when we say we want to be the best friend that our community has. Now, here's what I realize. That's a big thing. I mean, it's like not big to just say it. That's fine. But for that to actually be a reality, where like people who are like, I don't know what you guys believe, but I've heard that something's going on there. Tell me more. How long does that take? I think that probably takes maybe 10 years. This is a decade kind of vision. It's a long thing. But if this happens, think about the impact that, that can come from it. About a month ago, I was at the zoo, and uh, I was with my two youngest kids and then my dad, and, and we were at the zoo, and we got to the alligator exhibit, and the alligator exhibit right now is kind of lame because it's just covered over with all of this kind of like mossy type stuff that's in the, in the water, and so every now and then you can kind of see the little alligators pop up, but you just, you couldn't really see much, so it was kind of lame, so I started reading the signs. Normally, I don't read the signs and do that sort of stuff, and I came across the alligator sign, and I realized, I want us to be an alligator church. We need to be an alligator church. Like if I ever restarted the church, I might name it alligator church. People go, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. Here's what this sign said. American alligators are a keystone species. They play a unique and crucial role in keeping ecosystems healthy and biodiverse. If they were to disappear, their habitats would suffer. Look at the second paragraph. Alligators modify environments to the benefit of other species. Gator holes dug for cooling or warming collect vital water for other animals during dry spells. Nesting mounds constructed of grass and mud are used by birds and turtles once the alligator breeding season has ended. I read that and I went, yeah, I want to be an alligator church. Don't you love that line? If they were to disappear, habitats would suffer. What if we just disappeared? Would anybody notice? Would anybody feel it? Would it make any difference? I think it would. Because I think we do have a people in this church who love like Jesus, but it wouldn't hurt everybody much. And I'd love if that ever happened, for it to hurt a lot worse. Because I want us to be a keystone species in the Southeast Valley. We need to be an alligator church. We need to be the best friend that our community has. Digging out holes that are going to gather water for other people we aren't even going to know. That's where we're going. That's who we're called to be. Now, the question becomes, why? Why that? And here's the answer. Why? Jesus loves us. We love Jesus. We love who Jesus loves. Now, that would have been a good place for an amen if you were a different kind of church, all right? <laughs> Jesus loves us. We love Jesus. We love who Jesus loves. Amen. Hey, there we go. Let me ask you this. Who does Jesus love? Yes. I got two answers there. 
This was harder than I thought. Some of y'all said us. True, because it says that. Jesus loves us. But after us, who else does Jesus love? Everyone. Everyone. Some of y'all were like, everyone. (laughs) I guess he loves everyone. He loves everyone. Now, we don't like that, right? We'd like it better if it was like, he likes people like us. Jesus loves people who vote like us. Jesus loves people who value what we value. But that's not the truth. The truth of the scriptures is that Jesus loves everybody. Jesus looks over this whole community, and I think just as he did as he looked over Jerusalem, that if Jesus were here and he were looking over the Southeast Valley, he would weep. Because he would see people distressed and displaced, and he would think they're like a sheep without a shepherd. He wouldn't point fingers at them. He wouldn't say, man, these people, they just got to get their act together. He'd go, oh, such great compassion. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know my love. So why do we need to be the best friend that our community has? So that people can experience the love of Jesus. That's why. This is what the whole Bible's about. I mean, if you ever read the whole Bible cover to cover, you'll see this theme pop up over and over and over. We're actually introduced to it when God speaks to Abram. Abram is the guy who's kind of the father of the faith. He's like the first Israelite. And everybody uh, through the, the Jewish people, including Jesus himself, flows out of Abraham. And here's what God says to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go. Go from your country and your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. Listen, God's blessing almost always involves going. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to give you my presence. I'm going to go with you. I will bless you. Why, God? So that you will be a blessing. Listen, the blessing of God was never designed to terminate on you. It wasn't designed to stop with you. It wasn't that God just says, oh, I love you so much, and I just want you to be blessed so that you can be blessed, and it ends there. No, the blessing of God is always supposed to go through us. We're supposed to be a channel of God's blessing, a channel of God's grace, passing on the blessing that we receive. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's what Abraham was. He was blessed to be a blessing. You follow the rest of the biblical story. Israel was blessed to be a blessing. They were to be a light to the nations as God gave them this beautiful law. It says in Deuteronomy that the people from the surrounding nations were supposed to look at the law of Israel and go, wow, There's no God like these people have that would give them this kind of word. Wow. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus says, if you're going to be my people, you're supposed to be a light of the world. City on a hill. The salt of the earth. You're supposed to draw out all the God flavors that I've put in this world and help people see who I am. You've been blessed to be a blessing. That's what the church is. We're a blessed people, forgiven by God, reconciled to the Father, washed clean from our sins, raised to new life. Why? So that we would be a blessing, so that we would love who God loves. And that brings us to this passage that we read a while ago in John chapter 15. If you have your Bible, you can turn there to John 15 again. 
as we work through verses 12 to 17, what we're going to do in the rest of this series is kind of look at different portions of John 15, as you'll see. We're not going through it verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. We're not going consecutively, but we're kind of looking at John 15 and saying, how does this John 15 passage shape us to be a people who could be the best friend that our community has? You go, well, why John 15? Like, did you just make that up? No, it's because John 15 is right at the heart of the Last Supper. Jesus is approaching the very end of his life before his crucifixion, and he's having a meal with his disciples, and he's teaching them. And you know how important this would be if you had a chance to have a last meal with one of your best friends. What he'd say, you'd remember it. And so John heard it and he remembered it and he wrote it down. And this is supposed to shape us to be the best friend that our community has. So John chapter 15, what I want to do is, is help us see five different things that we see about love. If this vision to be the best friend our community has is about love, that God has loved us and blessed us, and now we get to love and bless our community. What does this passage tell us in Jesus' final words about love? Well, here's the first thing, is that this passage tells us the command of love. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another as I have loved you. Look at verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Our two youngest are two and four, and uh, they're struggling to obey commands these days, as two and four-year-olds are prone to do. And we often make the mistake where we say, like, uh, Mary, do you want to put on your shoes? Which is not the way you should give instructions as a parent, because Mary then says, no, I don't. I'd like to keep coloring. Or we say, Mary, uh, hey, take this, take this to mommy. Well, wait a minute. I, I'm working on something. <laughs> no, you're not working on something. Take this to mommy. This is a command, right? We, it's interesting that Jesus does not say, all right, disciples, do you want to go love each other? <laughs> because what would the disciples say? Nope. That Peter's kind of a loud mouth. I don't really like him. Judas, I don't know why we gave him the money, right? Like, no one, no one, we wouldn't pick this. This is not a suggestion. This is not an idea. Hey, I've got some, some thoughts. This is a command. We're commanded to love. This is my commandment that you love one another. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now, the focus of this passage, to be sure, is loving one another, that the disciples are to love each other, and the only chance that they're going to have to be able to go and bear fruit elsewhere, outside, is if they have a love inside that's worth replicating. And so Jesus says, this begins by making sure you know you are commanded to love. You're commanded to lay your life down. You're commanded to sacrifice. You go, well, why, does, why do you know that that's what love means? Are you sure it's not just like a warm feeling? Well, that's because the second thing this passage tells us is the criteria of love. What's the criteria of love? What's the standard? What's the measurement? You know, you need an accurate standard. You can't just eyeball this. You can't just guess and go, well, here's what it, I think it is. I went to Home Depot the other day because I thought I was going to need a new uh, whole garage door opening system. And so I bought one of these and scheduled somebody to come out and install it. And, and right before I left Home Depot, they said, well, hey, uh, how tall is your garage? Is your garage door seven feet or eight feet? You can't just go, well, I don't know, whatever. Whatever you think. 
Like, it doesn't work. Right? And I, I didn't know. I'm like, oh, why would I know that? Right? That's what I'm thinking. Some of you are like, how would you not know that? Well, I... I wouldn't know that, all right? So, so I said, oh, I'm probably seven, and I got home, and sure enough, it was eight. And so, like always, I had to make another trip to Home Depot, and I made another trip to Home Depot because it's just like, I can't just use whatever standard I want. I can't put a seven on an eight thing, right? It's, there's a criteria, right? Same thing with love. We don't just get to define what love means. Jesus says, here's what love means, verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Wow, that's a big standard. How have you loved us? Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is saying, listen, guys, I've been telling you I'm going to the cross. I've been telling you I'm going to die. I've been telling you that I'm going to give up my life for you. That's what love is. Look at 13 again. Greater love has no one than this. That's just saying... You can't love in a bigger way than this. Here's the, here's the greatest kind of love, that you lay down your life for your friends. If we fail to be the best friend that our community has, it will be because we have not laid down our lives. If you're struggling to love your spouse, it's because you're struggling to lay down your life be unselfish and be kind and be thoughtful. If you're struggling to love the people at work that are just so irritating, it's because you're struggling to lay down your life. It's simple to understand. It's very difficult to do. The only way you can actually do it is if you have a a kind of supernatural strength. And that supernatural strength doesn't come from within, but it actually comes from looking to the one who gave his life up for you. The only way that you could ever be the best friend that the community needs is if you have the best friend who laid down his life for you. That's the criteria of love. Then this passage tells us the confirmation of love. Well, how will we know that we really love like this? Verse 14 says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, this is important because in verse 13, he said, I'm laying my life down to make you my friends. But then in verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. So get this. Jesus is not saying, if you do the right stuff, then I'll lay my life down for you. He already said, I'm laying my life down for you either way. So verse 14 is not saying, here's what causes me to be your friends, but rather, here's what confirms that you're my friend. You do what I say. You you do what I command. Now, class, what is, what's Jesus' command? Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Class, what's the command? Love, right? Don't overthink this. It's right in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. He says, here's how I'll know that you're my friend. You'll love like I'm calling you to love. Jesus is not asking us to do what he's doing as if we can repay him. He's rather asking us to imitate what he's doing to show that we love him. When I was in college, my my freshman uh, year, after my freshman year that summer, I was in Lee's Summit, Missouri, which is outside of Kansas City, and I was playing on a baseball team there. 
And uh, I was driven around all summer by Tyler Johnson. Some of you know Tyler, have heard him speak here. He's actually the lead pastor of Redemption, kind of provides the movement and vision for all nine congregations. I've known him since high school. I've known him since, you know, freshman weight training class. So we've been buddies a long time. And we played on this team together. And he drove me around that whole summer in his Volkswagen Jetta. And uh, him and Brian Berger, who's also now a pastor at Redemption Gilbert, and the three of us kind of were in this, in this Jetta all summer. And I remember this one part kind of toward the end of the summer where I think one of our host families had given us a bunch of watermelon. So we had this like Tupperware thing filled with watermelon slices. And so we're eating the watermelon as we're driving along. And so I eat a slice of watermelon, I get it down to the Rhine, and then what I do? I rolled the window down and I threw the Rhine out the window. And, and Tyler goes, hey, what are you doing? You can't do that. And I said, now he drove a Jetta, so he, he was kind of concerned about the environment. And he, he thought like, hey, man, what are you, what? and I said, hey, th- this, this is not litter. This is biodegradable. Like, birds are going to eat this. It's no big deal. And so I ate one again. I threw it out the window again. He goes, hey, stop it. Please, please don't do that. This is my car. I would prefer if you just threw those away when we got where we're going. So I got another slice. I was hungry that day. <laughs> I had another slice of watermelon. I got to the Rhine. And I thought for a second. And I rolled down the window. <laughs> and I threw it out the window. And some of you that know Tyler, he's the greatest guy you've ever met. He's so nice. You've never, no one, no one believes how angry he was that day. Because he, I think he pulled the car over and he turned around and he said, I've driven you around all summer and I asked you to do one thing and you won't do it. Whoa, dude. Like, and I knew I was pressing his button. That's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He said, listen, I'm, I'm going to die for you. I'm just asking you to do one thing. Love one another. Love one another. That, that will tell me that we're friends. I'm, I'm proving that I'm friends with you by, by giving you this. Would you prove that you're friends with me by loving the way that I'm calling you to love, which is to lay your life down? So that's the command of love, the criteria of love, the confirmation of love. This passage also tells us in verse 16, the choice of love. Molly and I often kind of have this debate, and our kids will ask us, how did you guys meet, and who liked who first? And we always kind of argue about who liked each other first, and I'm convinced she liked me first. Because all her swimming teammates came up to me, and they were like, so, what do you think of Molly? And I was like, I don't think you're just asking that for no reason. She must like me. And so I, we, we had this, we, had, we go back and forth, well, no, I liked you first. No, she liked me. No, you liked me. Listen, when it comes to God, there's no debate. Look at what Jesus says in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. You did not choose me, Jesus says, I chose you. I loved you before the foundation of the world. I set my love upon you. I decided to die for you. I decided to prove my friendship to you. I chose you. I appointed you. This is so important. It's so important to know how much God loves us, to know how much God has pursued us. This is one of the things that keeps us going, is knowing that there are people who God has chosen, who God has appointed, who God is pursuing, and the way he is going to pursue them is through us. 
That's the choice of love. And then finally, the cause of love. And by this, I don't mean the reason we're loved, but rather the cause that we join as we go in love. The purpose, the mission, the cause of love. Look at what he says in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Don't miss that little word, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Listen, fruit is meant to be shared. You ever know anyone with a grapefruit tree? And they show up with this huge bag of grapefruit because they can't eat it all. And they give you the bag and you can't eat it all. I mean, there's not enough people that like grapefruit to eat all the grapefruit that's growing in the Southeast Valley, right? But, but the whole idea is like, I can't eat all this. This is meant to be shared. That's the same thing here. I've chosen you. I've called you. This is a privilege. This is a joy. But not just so you would kind of go, whew, God really likes me. But so that you would say, I'm going to do what Jesus does. I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to love like he loves. I'm going to go to the people he goes to. I'm going to serve the way he serves. I'm going to give the way he gives. I've been chosen to love, to go, and to bear fruit. That's why we're doing this. We're doing this because Jesus loved us and we love him. We love who Jesus loves. Now, the rest of this series is going to be kind of unpacking. Well, what does that look like? And what does that mean? And how do, how do we do that? And how over the next decade do we become the kind of people that can really love the way that Jesus loved? But the way I want to finish today is to ask the question, how do we get started? Right? If that's the kind of long-term thing. How do we get started? What's the first step, right? If, if we have to design the path to get to that preferred reality, what's the first step? Well, here's the first step. And this is how we want to spend really the next year in our church's life. The next step, the way we get started in this process, is to adopt the mentality of a missionary church. To adopt the mentality of a missionary church. Have you ever gone on a mission trip? It's really great. I mean, sometimes they're hard, but they're really great. Like if you've ever gone to Juarez, you should go to Juarez sometime. And here's what will happen when you go there. Because you're going kind of with a missionary mindset, you'll see things you don't normally see. And you'll pray with a faith you don't normally pray with. And you'll kind of interpret things through spiritual reality that you wouldn't normally do. And you'll do whatever you can to try to love and interact with people in a way that shines the light of Jesus. It's very, in a way, easy to do when you go on a mission trip over there somewhere. You know what's really hard? Living as a missionary here. Praying with that kind of intentionality here. Loving with that kind of focus here. Seeing yourself and seeing all of life through this lens of, I'm a missionary sent by God to this place. And yet, that's the mentality that we have to begin to adopt. Now, I think that's a mentality that is somewhat actually in the DNA of our church. So I don't think this is a huge leap for us to go here because this is actually how the church began. You see there in parentheses, I put a church plant. We have to adopt the mentality of a church plant. And this church was a church plant about 10 years ago. And about 10 years ago, I started having informational meetings with people who were curious about helping start a new church in the Southeast Valley. And I would cast vision for how we wanted to be the hands and feet of Jesus that would love our community the way that God's loved us and that sort of thing. We talked about that. And what we said at the end of those info meetings, we said, listen, we would love you to join our launch team. We'd love you to help be part of starting this. We'd love your fingerprints to be on this church. But here's what it means. 
If you're going to be part of the launch team, we need you to commit to five things. These are not easy things, but we need to commit to these five things. First, we need you to commit to coming on a regular basis because it's hard to have church if no one's there. Two, we want to have you commit to going as a missionary to your circle of influence. Third, we want to ask you to commit to inviting people to experience the life of the church. Fourth, we want to ask you to serve to sacrifice your time and your energy in order to serve the needs of this mission. Five, we want to ask you to give financially, to contribute, to sacrifice joyfully and cheerfully toward the advancement of God's kingdom through this church. Those five things. Now listen, the reason our church is strong today is because of those 50 people who made those five commitments. It's not because of great preaching because the preaching wasn't great. It's not because of great music. The music wasn't great. It's not because of a great facility. We were in a ballroom at ASU Poly. It's because of 50 people who embraced those five commitments and said, I'm going to live. I'm going to think. I'm going to pray like a missionary. So here's the first step toward us becoming a church that is the best friend our community has, is we want to invite you to join the 2019 launch team of Redemption Gateway. We wanna invite you to make the same five commitments that those people made 10 years ago. So that's why you have in your program, hopefully you got one of these. So when you came in today, go ahead and grab it. In your program there is a card. On the front of the card it says, over the next decade we want to be the best friend our community has. Let's get started. And then you flip it over and you see a commitment card there. Now, this is important, is commitment day for this is actually not today, all right? We're not asking you to make any decisions today, but we're gonna have a commitment day on December 9th. That's five or six weeks from now, whatever that is, and uh, the last day of this series is gonna be commitment day. And what we want you to do between now and then is to take this card, put it somewhere where you'll think about it, where you'll pray about it, where you'll remember about it, and what we want you to do is pray and say, God, would you have me join this launch team? And on the back, what you'll see is these five commitments. It's the exact same five that the people made 10 years ago. Will you commit to coming to a Sunday into a small group? Will you commit to going as a missionary to your circle of influence? Will you commit to inviting people to whatever they'll come to? Will you commit to serving in some way that advances the mission? Will you give financially to support the mission? That's what it is. You're not going to tell us how much you plan to give or how much you plan to serve. You're just going to say, yes, I want to be part of this 2019 launch team. For 2019, I'm going to commit to these five things. And if you do that, here's what we're going to do. We're going to train you. We're going to help you. Some of you go like, I, don't, I wouldn't even, if you told me I had to serve, I wouldn't even begin to know how to start. Where would I, what would I do? How, we'll, t- we'll help you with that. We'll help you. We'll guide you. We'll direct you. Right? You don't have to figure this out all on your own. The other thing we're going to do with the launch team is every month in the spring, January, February, March, April, we're going to have launch team trainings that I'm going to lead where I'm going to basically take you through what I would take a church plant through. We'll pray like church planners. We'll do things, uh, (laughs) exercises that will stretch you. You'll go interview people in the community who don't know or love the Lord, and you'll have to ask them questions. You can blame me. You'll be able to say, my pastor is making me do this, right? But but you're going to stretch your faith. You're going to stretch out, and you're going to think and develop the mentality like a missionary, like a church planter. We're going to help you with this. So between now and December 9th, put this somewhere where you'll think about it, where you'll pray about it. And my prayer is that bunch of you will join this launch team in 2019. 
Now, some of you I know, like, you go, well, this would be the easiest commitment I've ever done because I already do these five things. That's you. Thank you. Thank you. You're the reason this is a healthy church. You're the reason why this isn't a, some big, huge new shift, but this is just accelerating the direction we've been going. So thank you. If you're a person who goes, oh my gosh, I don't know what I just came into. I'm not a church person. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm kind of curious about this Jesus guy, but you're making, commit to what? I don't know if I'm ever coming back here. Here's what I just would tell you. Come back. Come find out about Jesus. We're not asking you to commit to anything. Just, just come keep finding out about Jesus. Now, I also know some of you are going, you know what? I'd, I'd, I'd really like to do this. Like there's something in me that just resonates with this. I'd like to... But man, that feels like a stretch. That feels like a leap. I just don't know if I can do it. Here's what I'd like to tell you. We want to help. We want to encourage you. We want to support you. We want to talk with you. We want to help you think through how it could happen. We want to make it as doable as possible so that you could have a missionary mentality and be part of where we're going. But here's the thing I'll tell you. If you look at all this and you think about it and you kind of go, you know what? I just kind of want a cruise liner church. I don't really want to do much. I kind of just want to come and sit on the comfy chairs and get a Jesus tan and go back and live my comfortable life. If if you want a cruise liner church, here's what I'd like to ask you. Would you please go find one somewhere else? Because we're going to be an aircraft carrier. And if you're not interested, we could use the room. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way Jesus has come and has laid his life down for us. God, I'm honestly fearful when I think about what it might cost me, what it might cost us to truly be the best friend that our community has. So God, would you give us your strength? Would you give us your power? God, I pray that even now as we turn our attention in a moment to baptisms, that this would be part of what you use to fuel our faith, to help us see that it's worth it to pursue the people that Christ pursues, to love the way that Jesus loves. God, help us to see it, help us to feel it, help us to rally together that we would be a church that makes your name great, that makes your name known. God, we pray it in the precious name of Christ. Amen.